Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My admiration of Travis Alabanza runs deep. They were one of the first people to say yes to me and Busy BM Black at a time of tremendous uncertainty for me. And our 2018 conversation remains a firm favorite with listeners. The wisdom and insights Travis shared on art, gender, race, and self-awareness are as relevant and salient today as then. I find Travis refreshing, not least for the ways they engage with the spectacle of curiosity that confronts them and trans folks daily. Travis's approach is one of sass or critique or silence, a questioning that asks ultimately whether the rest of us know the role we play in the ongoing hostilities facing trans people. But Travis's work is not only always or forever work about their experience as a trans person in a transphobic world, nor do they create to explain, which is perhaps most beautifully expressed in a statement made to Travis by writer and friend Kuchenga, this is for us, baby, not for them. Indeed, at the heart of Travis's new book, None of the Above, is a call to keep questioning who we are when no one is watching. And as we navigate this time of accelerated awakening and reckoning in an internet culture that often attempts to construct and preserve people as one-dimensional avatars, <clears throat> Travis's honest exploration of the questions they are asking themselves about what it means to be trans for them is a trenchant and necessary reminder that nothing, not people, not ideas, and not knowledge, absolutely nothing is fixed. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Travis Alabanza. Tonight, I'm in conversation with the tremendous Travis Alabanza, an award-winning writer, performer, and theater maker, and non-Soho House member. <laughs> Khalil. <laughs> Travis was the youngest recipient of the Artist in Residency program at Tate Galleries and their debut show, Burgers, toured internationally to sold-out performances in London, Sao Paulo, and Berlin. In 2020, their theater show, Overflow, debuted at the Bush Theater to widespread acclaim and later streamed online in over 20 countries. Travis's work surrounding gender, trans identity, and race has garnered international recognition, and they have given talks at universities including Oxford, Harvard, and Bristol. Please put your hands together for Travis Alabanza. Thanks, thanks, babe. Thanks. And and just before we begin our conversation, Travis, I have to give a shout out to um, Andrew Lumsden. Raise your hand, Andrew. 
Hi, Andrew. So we are among royalty. Andrew Lumsden is one of the original members of the Gay Liberation Front who organized the first ever Pride March in the UK in 1972. Come on, Andrew. We should shot to that. Oh, shit. Yeah, we should shot to you, Andrew. This is to you, Andrew. To you, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) To Andrew. Cheers, darling. Cheers, babe. This is a double. Gay liberation never tasted so sweet. (laughs) Really? You're on to something. So, Travis, I know from our previous conversation that you don't actually like it um, when people kind of read out your accomplishments to you. But it's necessary for me to do it because I need people to know that if you're in my space, I am also that too. (laughs) (laughs) To To play on Descartes. You are, therefore I am. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, babe, then it's allowed. (laughs) Um, And regular listeners to the show, including yourself, will know that I open all my conversations with the same question. But that question came after our 2018 conversation. So I've been really excited to ask you, how's your heart? How's my heart today? Um, It's free porn star martinis down. Um, I mean, I've had like a weird day. And then I was really looking forward to this, and then I bumped into some like really great people and some friends that I came with, and I feel way better. Um, so yeah, if my heart's good. Um, yeah, how else does other people answer? Do they really go in? Uh, it really depends. You know, some people talk about their heart more broadly. Um, some talk about how the recent events are impacting how they're feeling. Bitch, I stopped smoking seven weeks ago. So Come my on. my heart has... Ooh. Wait, wait, is that yeah. lungs or heart? I don't know, but my <laughs> my internal organs are doing bits right now. Yeah, they're so, vibing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like a chain smoker for like years. So, well, you know, because the first thing you said is like, you want a cigarette? Because that's yeah. just the image. Of, I said vape. Okay, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let it be known. <laughs> but yeah, so my heart's doing better than it has been. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> or whatever that oh. organ is, yeah. <laughs> well, th- thank you for that. <laughs> we are all very proud of you. Um, so, Travis and I first spoke on Busy Being Black in 2018. 2018 is when the show launched, and you were one of the very first guests. There are other first guests in the house as well, Ryan Lange, Topher Campbell. Um, you're one of a few people who said yes to me and to Busy Being Black after a tremendously difficult time in my life. So I just want to say here publicly, thank you for not only that first time, but your continuing friendship and support. Of course, always, always. <laughs> your conversation remains a firm favorite among listeners. Um, and I was revisiting the conversation again before this, this evening. And it struck me how what I took away init- from that initial conversation about trans identity, about race, about gender, about you know, the kind of the policing of the body, that has kind of translated into my life since, right? I, I took these lessons from Travis and I applied them to my life and I moved on. But as I look around the world, I think that we keep looking to our trans siblings to offer us some kind of answers and guidance. And I think it misses that our trans siblings might also be evolving themselves, right? If they're always looked to, to, to kind of the, the, the knowers of trans. So I wonder how your understanding of transness has changed since 2018. Oh my God, so much. I mean, um, I think the main thing is that I've like 
tried so many different words for myself since then. And I've like transitioned, detransitioned, called myself like a cross-dresser, called myself a man in a dress, called myself a woman. I've really like ran through it. And I think all of that was searching for the fact that like in 2018, I was so hell-bent on people understanding me. And now I realize that that is just not where I want to go or what is possible or what I want to be, that like understanding isn't the goal for my transness. Whereas like I tried to listen to our conversation this morning as like research too, so I didn't repeat myself and I couldn't get through it. Like I couldn't only get to like 15 minutes and not just because of my voice, um, although that's a high factor, but also because I just seemed so sure of everything. Mm. And I wish I could like tell myself like, girl, Pipe down. Mm, yeah, <laughs> stop. You know, and I think now all I know about my transness is that I like don't really know much about it except that it's like true in me and here. Whereas before I was so obsessed with like making a room by the end of a conversation feel like they could understand and feel like they could talk about it. I was so, my transness could only exist in relation to education, right? And I'm just, I don't give a shit about that really anymore. It's interesting, right, that I, I feel this with busy being black, right? How long can it be called busy being black, right? Like at some point it has to extend beyond this kind of fixed identity category. And it, I can try and kick open the doors to blackness and queerness as much as I want to, but it doesn't really address the fact that we're hemmed in by a label or an identity in the first place, right? And so is there something that over the past four years that has precipitated this kind of refusal at understanding? Well, look, sometimes it's useful, right? Like when it's trying to translate or talk to like my mum or like my family or like someone in passing, sometimes saying like I'm transgender is like a really nice signal to go, I'm not the thing that you're looking at me as. Maybe I've changed and something. So I'm still like not rejecting it all the time. I just think more in spaces where we're invited to talk and speak and discuss and where like the purpose of me being here is to talk. I was like, let me try and resist the urge for that to always equal exp explanation. Let me resist. Because if I'm honest, when I'm home, I'm, I'm not thinking about these labels to myself, right? I'm, and my, my urgency has changed from like wanting to define to actually just wanting to like live, right? So your goals shift. Like I'm less worried about a label and more worried about whether I can get to the street and be, and actually no, not even just get down the street. I think that's like a, such a basic request. I'm now more worried about, am I happy? Am I feeling joyful? Do I have good people around me? Am I having fun? And I don't know how much that is contingent with me explaining my identity all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course, because to explain your identity, you have to understand it inherently to make it legible, right? That's right. what you're saying in the book. The other day, someone called me a cross-dresser and I was like, Lala, what's wrong with that? Like, I, I just don't really care anymore. Like, it, you can't control, because what? So the conversation is, I'm trans, this is how I identify. They then say yes and they abide by it. But then they go home and call me a he, she anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like right. real, or then they yeah. misgender me in the next sentence. You can't control other people's perception of you. To loads of people in this room, I will just be a man in a dress. So I don't control that. So I can only control my own joy and my own like self around that. So, so what is the point in continuing this like arduous approach to get cisgender people to understand us more? Because that puts the power on them and their decisions and their timings. And that's what I was doing back then. And now I'm interested in my own timings, my own pacing, and not just my own, that of my friends who are also sorted cross-dressers, <laughs> you know? Um, that's what I'm interested in. Like I was paying too much time to the cis and not enough time to the sissies. <laughs> One of the things I love about your work um, 
is how you so often, <laughs> I don't know if you'll agree with this phrasing, but you kind of handcuff us to you. Yeah, Does that I like that. Yeah, 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 I like that. Go on. And I saw burgers, and you know, because <laughs> I've not stopped, stopped talking to you about it since. But I had this moment in burgers where prima facie, burgers is about someone threw a burger at Travis. But actually, burgers has nothing really to do with the burger. It's the society or, or what made that incident even possible in the first place. And when, when that dawned on me, I was like, oh, shit. You know, like... <laughs> What am I going to do, right? Like, it, I'm now implicated in this thing that some stranger did to you because you make that so clear. And I think you do this in the book as well. You say, my transness, I believe, might have always required a you in order to show itself. Maybe I know I am trans because you make it impossible for me to be. Oh, did I write that? Mm-hmm. That was good. Yeah, that, that was, was nice. Like, Come on, carry on. Let's just read the book out. <laughs> <laughs> Little alarm emojis. I was like, <laughs> make a note of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's intentional, the handcuffing. Yeah, oh, definitely. Well, I think, you know, the first, I don't make theatre because I, like, dreamed of being someone that makes theatre. I didn't, I didn't really know that there was a job prospect in it. I mean, it's still dwindling. Um, but I think that the first time I saw effective theatre was the panto. And I always bring that up because I think people in the art world and stuff like to categorise what art is, like, high art or low art or good art or bad art and, like, what art is worth talking about and not. And the panto never really comes high up on the list. You know, if you see a celebrity do a panto, it's like the death of their career, right? But when I think about the first time I saw theatre that told me something about the world, it was watching a pantomime dame in a panto. Because here was this person that the world is going to label a man in a dress or whatever they are. They are normally in the pantos. And we're seeing the audience on their team, smiling, laughing, cheering, being the favorite character. But here I was, someone 15, a a, a young man in a dress, experiencing the complete opposite. So the theater fascinated me because it told me that there's a a new contract that we create in audience. Outside, something happens when we go onto the stage and we have possibility to create a new contract Mm. with how we treat each other. And so for me, to make theater without the fourth, like opening the fourth, I mean, theater, you know, fourth, third, or whatever, like to like talk to the audience, to be in relationship with the audience, there's no other question, because why else are we doing it? I, I don't make work to just like wank off on stage. Like, that's fine, and you're allowed to do that if you but want to. But that would be high art. It depends what your mum looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, my mum said she was going to listen to this one. I can bleep that out. That's okay. Right. Um, we'll fix that in post. That was vulgar, sorry. Um, <laughs> I've got higher art than that. But, um, you know, and I think that you have to acknowledge the audience. But also, right, the thing about a theatre show, and especially now that I get to do venues that maybe don't normally have people that look like me in them regularly, I'm not going to say they don't have them because they do, but certainly not trans writers, is that you've got them in the doors are locked. Because I always tell audience members that they can leave, but because theatre is such a British institution, you find me a middle-class British person that will leave halfway for a show. They won't. They get nervous when they need a wee. They're so apologetic. (laughs) So I've locked them in. So Mm. I can force them into a relationship that they then have to decide to opt out of. Rather than out in the world, we're forced into a relationship with them that we're desperately trying to opt out of. So it's about power, and it's about using art to imagine new power structures. And I think sometimes people think that means always being like equal. But actually, if we're allowed to use art to imagine, what if that puts me actually as the domineering one? 
as the one in domination, uh, you know, Burgers is literally me doing BDSM with a white man on stage for an hour, Listen. except we call it cooking a burger, <laughs> you know, but it is definitely a role play for an hour where he is sweating, you know, because we've turned the heater up on his side of the chair. Listen, that was the, one of the most effective pieces of theater I've ever seen in my entire life. Like it all came home when you brought that white man on stage and he had, he couldn't, he was limp. But he like, volunteered. He and he gets told he can leave. He gets offered a drink. He gets offered... I cover all my bases. <laughs> you know? I ain't fucking around. Some of these people got lawyers. They got families. I ain't fucking around with their family names. You don't know who you're going to pick. But they're in there. They're engaged, mm. you know? And, 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 and you can't do that out on the street. So knowing what you know now about how your understanding or your kind of refusal to understand or your open process of understanding your transness has changed over the past four years... Burgers would be different hugely now, right? Yeah, I was just touring it in the States for like five weeks, like last month or whenever April was. Yeah, last month. And it was really hard because I've changed so much, but I couldn't be bothered to change the script. Um, So I was like reading the lines and I was like, oh my God, like this is... Some of it I've still felt held itself and others I was like, God, I was just so focused on things that I'm not focused on now. Yeah, and I suppose if the audience is probably never where you are going to be, as it were, right? Like, Or some are. You know, I think some were further than I was. I can remember getting feedback from, like, other trans artists when Burgers first came out. And now I can hear their conversations with a different different tone. I think before I was, like, seeing it as compliments, and then now I'm re- listening them back, and it's, like, hidden in them are, like, hints that I could do something else. Oh, that's you know? very Virgo. Like, so... Cool. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. My mum's a Virgo. <laughs> well, like hiding do. a compliment in yeah, hiding yeah, something. Yeah. Okay, like yeah. a quiet suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think actually people were ahead of it. But I was where I needed to be then. For sure. And then I'm where I need, you know. And, you know, it has, it had a, like a profound impact. I we mean, made a lot of burgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it did. It did actually. I should it stop did. deflecting. Sure. It did do well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Travis's new book. None of the above is available for pre-order. <laughs> Hashtag ad is available for pre-order. Um, we ask you to pre-order from Gaze the Word, supporting independent um, queer book selling. Now, the book is divided into different sections and sayings, things that people have said to you intentionally, unintentionally over the course of your life, and you're kind of going through these different phrases, and I'm picking them and expanding on them. One of the ones that stands out for me is the chapter, So When Did You Know? And to just quickly recap, um, people are, actually, why don't you talk about what, so when did you know, what that question means? Yeah, well, it was using, trying to use a phrase that, like, is often said, I think, to people as, like, conversation starters or whatever about about who you are, um, and try and unpack whether or not it's like an, you know, people say you're born this way. And I guess the chapter's trying to actually say, well, what if I wasn't born this way? And so I'm using, so when did you know, to actually say maybe I don't know. And to use it to say, me being born this way it shouldn't be dependent on my respect and my, my, my freedom. Actually, I could choose to be this way. This could be an active choice, and I would still deserve respect. And so it's using that kind of phrase that we've, a lot of queer people and gender non-conforming people and et cetera have heard to try and reject finding that answer to say, is it one moment? Like, no, maybe not. So in the chapter, I try and find the answer for myself. And I guess I end up on the point that I don't know. I don't have a, a, a moment when I did know. And, and actually, I could change tomorrow, but this version of me should still have grace and respect. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think of 
because this question, and I don't know how often we broach this, like the similarities between the lives we lead in the communities, the ways our bodies are treated, the questions we're asked, the invasive touching, the probing. And so when did you know made me think of the same question that we as gay men, just to be specific to my own lived experience, are asked, you know, when did you know? And I thought of my mom telling me that she knew when I was four and was clip-clopping around the house in her heels. But that's her memory, not mine. Yeah. And the one I've come to rehearse is that I was 12 and I met this boy in school. But actually, I knew much earlier than that, but it's not a story I want to tell. But this, the point of saying all that is that for gay men in particular, for a certain type of gay men, man, this, when did you know, has become this kind of like celebratory moment. Yeah. Right? This act of acceptable rebellion. This is when they just could not contain themselves anymore. We should be so proud, right? Mm. And that's not the same for our trans siblings, right? That's not the, that's not the intention of the probing. Yeah, or, or it could be. It can come from the same, yeah, and no, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know either. I could be totally wrong. Oh, let's just end the podcast now. I don't know. Yeah. You, know you don't know. <laughs> no, but it could be. But also what I'm saying is it's like the probing could come from the same place of like disturbance, right? Like both, I mean... When we're younger, what's happening is like, even in gay men, like it's not a sexual deviance a lot of the time, it's still just you playing with gender, right? You in heels, like although that's attributed to when you're a gay man, it's just you being gender non-conforming, right? Mm. So for me, this the divide that we make between gender and sexuality, you know, everyone's going, mm, well, gender's in your head and sexuality is what you do. And the, I get it, it's to make things more simple. Mm. But I think we do a disservice where like so much of policing that happens at a young age to get people that become gay men is actually about their gender expression it's about disturbance and so what i'm saying is that those moments could be celebratory if we reclaim them but actually i'm saying why have we accepted a world where as soon as we rupture from what is meant what we think is meant to happen we're met with so much questioning like what would it look like in a world where we weren't questioned every time that we made choices or changes you could just wear heels it could be a non-monumental event you could just fancy a boy. It could be a non-monumental event. And, and that's not to say that those things in this present time aren't monumental. We should celebrate those wins as chances for you to have autonomy and choice. But I think that we get trapped. This book wasn't about saying all the things that are now. For me, it was trying to imagine other things. And to, I wrote it in, in lockdown, and I was really depressed, as a lot of us were in lockdown. I was miserable. And what got me out of being miserable was trying to imagine something more than what we had. So yes, we've made best with what we've got now to celebrate your moment of knowing your actual moment, to celebrate you walking around with heels. But I'm trying to write something that says, what if we imagine a world where that is really not monumental at all? That actually you're not questioned about it. You're not asked about it. It doesn't feel significant because it shouldn't be, you know? Yeah, ideally. <laughs> We've spoken about this before, you know. I have this increasing desire to be a bit difficult, to Love. be kind of, Go on. you know, incorrigible. I said the other day that I'm one of the blacks that bites. <coughs> you know, like, if you're looking for a friendly black, it's not me. Like, fuck off, right? Like, I don't want people thinking they can lean on, not non-black people think they can lean on me. Like, there are other ones, and they make themselves readily available, right? Like, I'm just not one of them. You're busy. <laughs> I am indeed quite busy. <laughs> and it struck me that there's a through line here between our experiences in that I read this refusal at understanding that populates this book or animates this book rather 
um, as something quite akin to that, right? You write that understanding as a dull and fragile pursuit. I, side note, I, I, have, I took that quite personally. I was like, well, that's like literally my entire life. Um, and you know how you tell people outlandish stories when they ask these invasive questions. And I felt that, I thought, you know, what if I'm asking an invasive, invasive question, or if any black person, where are you from, was asking an invasive question and you said, I don't know. Like, how annoying would that be? And I find this, this resistance to understanding frustrates a process. And I think that's probably what I'm trying to get nearer to is, is that frustration. I, I want people to feel frustrated, not me. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I, yeah, I do make up stories now when people ask me when I knew I was trans. Um, yeah, can, you talk to, can you tell the one about the doctor? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I say that my... What, what, what's the one in the book? Let me ask you. So when did you know? Well, no, I, I'm can't a, re- no, I'm a re- I can't remember what I put in the book. <laughs> I swear I don't have a ghostwriter. I just wrote this in 2020. <laughs> 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 I say um, about the doctor. Oh, yeah. And yeah I I'm a rich white woman at a charity gala. And I'm, when did you know? Oh, yeah. And I tell her that, um, well, uh, the doctor gathered me. And when they asked me what my... They didn't know I could speak. And they couldn't figure out why I spoke. My yeah. first word was a Judith Butler quote. And that... <laughs> is when I knew that something was going on. Yeah. And it doesn't three, matter that I was three free. when they took you to the Yeah, doctor. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, and then that was like, okay, people were like, something's up. And then two years later, I was on the phone to Judith, Judes, and she was like, gender's a performance. And I was like, mum, get my fucking saturated milk and come over here. I need to perform some fucking gender. And that's when I knew that I was a devilish cross-dresser. <laughs> But, you know, I think the bite back can have a swing, right? I've even changed since then. That's what's so beautiful about hearing this, is that I think I definitely went into this space of always biting back. And now it's about finding the middle ground. Before too open, then constantly biting, and now finding the space to be honest with the people that you trust, and actually delve into, like, a mutual understanding between your friends, and just not deflecting everything with a joke. (laughs) And now it's about finding that middle ground, and it's about being, I think... There was something so public about my figuring out of my identity, but also I thought that that was really unique to me being like relatively public domain or whatever. But actually you speak to other trans people that haven't got a horrible Google search and they also are doing, it's all public in their own way. And I think you go over that overexposure, then you want to hide and then you want nothing to do with it. It's just about finding the middle ground because it is still important to me. It's, I'm being flippant, but it is still important, of course. What's still important? me finding my transness of course it right, is right. of course it is you know i can but it's like a different vibe to what it was i just i just think that like it's about being an interesting thing when it's an interesting thing but not being a given that it's always an interesting thing yeah like you it's know? transness should also be allowed to be mundane yeah, I mean, we can't be. We look right. <laughs> no, I mean, not <laughs> not here, but for other people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's obviously the goal for others. I was. Do you know why I'm being a bit <laughs> jokey, Josh? Do you know why I'm being a bit jokey? Go on. Because I listened to our 2018 when I had to stop, and I'm I was so serious on the podcast. It just didn't feel. Do you feel? And I was just like, it didn't feel very me, but maybe that's a change. So that's why I'm maybe throwing too many jokes in now. I was so serious. I listened to the 2018 thing. I was like, whoa, give I, that girl a drink. <laughs> uh, we have changed it up this time, yeah. No, but I th- it's hard for me to say. Like, I perceived you as this, and I, this is probably, uh, I should unpack this a little bit, but my experience of that situation is probably somewhat crystallized in the impact 
that you had in that moment, mm-hmm. right? So there, for me, you are the 2018 Travis who showed up to that conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't see that person now, yeah, yeah. right? But I, I'm still very um, able to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You opened our conversation by reading Black Bones and Cycles. Yeah. Um, and I'll just never forget it. It was just oh, r- it was beautiful. It was us in that little tiny studio. Yeah. It was gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cute. Um, it was what, really a moment. Um, what are you handing Will to? you read the sea? Yeah, sure. Sometimes I stand by the edge of where the ocean meets the beach, and I look out onto the sea so I can see something that does not have an end. And I often get asked what my gender feels like, and I want to say it is more like what do I wish it could feel like. I wish it could feel like this moment like it does not have a beginning or an end, that you cannot see where it starts or stops, that it just continues to exist or not exist, that is a vast space of nothingness in one wave and then holds so much in the next. Sometimes I stand by the edge of where the ocean meets the beach and look out onto the sea so I can feel like something that does not have an end. And cisgender people often ask me what my gender feels like and that never really allows me to say what my gender really is. My gender is something stopped halfway through. A badly formatted tape to CD conversion, missing full potential, the second character on a video game without levels, no up or down, it is an unfinished. A body of water, potential to do so much, yet eventually bottled. And sometimes I stand by the edge of where the ocean meets the beach and look out onto the sea that looks out over my gender, that pours out over my body, and it makes me feel like nothing. So the sea is cis people, right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They wish. (laughs) Busy Being Black returns in just a moment. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I'm Josh Rivers, and you're listening to Busy Being Black. I'm in conversation with Travis Alabanza in a live recording of the show at Shortage House. I'm curious about your process. Um, you said that you wrote this book um, during lockdown, which was obviously a difficult time. Um, I'm curious about what's different writing none of the above than perhaps writing burgers or even overflow um, or any or writing poetry. Like what what had to what did you have to update in your software to Yo. get none of the above done? Yo, <laughs> still updating. Uh, I had to like it was really 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 hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Like hands down, I, if I had the money in my account, I would have given it back to give up. 
I'm really glad I spent the money yeah, because you, you said in the book. Uh, it, do I say that in the book? <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, you yeah I think that is in the book. You spent the money on hair. You your advance on hair laser removal. Yes. Yeah. No, because I'd already spent that advance. When I stopped to try and give up the book, I couldn't because I didn't have the money to give it back to them. But it was like I had to readjust a lot of. You know, I think people talk about imposter syndrome a lot. I've probably talked about it before somewhere. And I think I thought I knew what it felt like. And then I tried to write a book. And I think, I remember there's a text on my phone to someone because I'm building up um, a thank you card to a lot of my different friends that really got me through writing the book. There's a text I write to a friend that says, um, yo, I think I've reached my, my limit. Maybe this is just one thing that I'm not meant to do, write a book. Like this is actually where the education, not having a certain type of education is finally the peak. And I really felt that. I was like, because of the type of book I really believed I could write, and that is not to shade any, all, all books are valid. Um, but, <laughs> but, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but like, I knew that what would be maybe expected or marketed from me, from the publisher, and I say this in the prologue, is this kind of like non-binary 101, we're going to teach you everything and be a bit like cunty and like talk to you in a conversational tone and like tell you everything about being a non-binary. And that is totally valid and, and fine but I knew that's not the book I enjoy or wanted to write. I knew that I could try and get to something that's trying to get close to what I wanted. Who knows who it's say? Yeah, I, I will reread it soon. Um, but I kind of was like, I don't think I know how. I don't think I'm smart enough. And I've, I've never really felt that feeling of smartness. I've never cared about smartness. I think that's, you asked the difference, sorry, long way round. On theater and stage, I'm not really bothered with the idea of being smart. I'm, it's not really something I think about when I'm writing. I'm bothered about what's the audience gonna feel? What am I feeling? what's happening on stage, the action, right? And, and I'm, I don't care if something feels smart or not. When people tell me, oh, Burgers is so clever, and I, I, that's not what I'm interested in. And at the beginning of writing a book, that's all I was thinking about. Luckily, I stopped caring and could finish the book and didn't, but at the beginning I was like, I am not smart enough. So I had to really readjust that idea. I had to like read a lot more. Like I, I basically had a year to write this, but actually, only got it done in six months because I spent six months then reading just for a really long time, telling everyone I wasn't writing the book and I wasn't, but I was reading, which is writing the book. The type of writing. Yeah. Yep. So, and just reading other people that like don't necessarily have a Cambridge or Oxford degree talking about gender, talking about their identity. Cause it wasn't that I don't believe that people that don't have Cambridge or Oxford degrees talk about write books. We've got loads of people that write books like that. It was more that I felt to analyze gender and to have a stake in analyzing gender and how it works, you had to be a professor, or you had to like be academic, or you had to be from a certain university. And it was fine if I would keep the book about my personal experience, because everyone's calling it a memoir. It's kind of pissing me off a bit, because it, it is a bit, but it's, I don't think it- doesn't it, feel like a memoir. It's not, right? But yeah. they just see like me, life, and they go memoir. Yeah, trans person book memoir? Yeah, yeah. and it's not a memoir. Like yeah. Sean Faye's quote about the book, has like warmed my soul and I, I didn't even pay her to say it. But she said like, Travis has written a brilliant anti-memoir. And I was mm. so fucking touched because that's what was stopping me was that I can only do this if I turn it all about myself. I can't possibly make a wider analyzing because I'm not a historian. I'm yeah. not a professor. I'm not an academic. I'm just someone that thinks. And so, yeah, I had to rearrange that thinking. Yeah, but that, that's part of... That's on purpose, right? Like that divide between yeah. who can talk about what and to whom and when. Yeah. Yeah. And so I appreciate that. I mean, like, it doesn't matter. But yeah. Yeah. And this won't be seen as theory by loads of people. But to me, it was me making theory for myself to feel, to make sense. 
So, well, you know, your theory makes a lot more sense than some of the theory I've read. Thanks, babe. Honestly, like, I'm like, wait, that's way smarter. It's an all right yeah. memoir. <laughs> <laughs> a theoretical memoir. And one of the thoughts that came into my head was that perhaps with a play, you're, you're also world building in a way that maybe creates some distance between the words and the emotions and you. Yeah. Right? Because it, it's expressed through a color or an object or an actor. Like, you, you yeah. get to step back from Absolutely. the thing you might feel. Whereas this is, this is you, babe. This is the most me thing I've done in a while. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's a very real thing because it is talking about in the moment, me trying to figure out if I'm still trans, but using that as a jumping point to rather argue for a world where I shouldn't even have to ask that. But it is coming at, you know, I'd started, I started estrogen at the time of writing it. I then stopped it halfway through writing it. And it was me figuring out what that means and, and, Figuring out, you know, at the beginning of the book, I maybe overestimated how much money I'd make that year. I said, by the time you're reading this, I'm going to have a new face. Well, I don't. Um, I would like one. But uh, I really overestimated my paycheck that year. Um, but uh, I was, yeah, what, how grandiose. By the, it does say that, doesn't it? I might even have a different face. Yeah, bitch. Right. <laughs> okay. Maybe, but mm, I'm trying to get it by the release date. It I'm looks trying. different to me. <laughs> I've just gotten better at makeup. Um, but, you know... Uh, I, I was figuring out all these things about myself. And, you know, I think I say in the book as well, this is someone that used to graffiti on walls, like bearded, sissy, and proud. And now I'm paying for laser hair. And that's not to say good or bad. I just wanted a book that asked those questions because I wanted to figure out what had changed with me. And if that change was coming from myself, like they all tell us we have to say it's from, right? We have to, when we're trans, go, this is from my internal self because we have to lie to doctors and we have to lie to people and we have to do this. And I just wanted one space. If art is where I can be honest, I wanted one space where I could be honest that maybe for me, something else was going on. And maybe if it's, that's for me, then it might be for one other person too, you know? Mm. So aside from the, you know, intellectual challenge, if you will, um, getting over your imposter syndrome about whether you're smart enough to write the book, where does the process of writing a book and writing a play overlap for you? Is there? Well, it overlaps in terms of you have a moment where you decide to not care about other people. Okay. And you start to be selfish. For my prospect, for my process anyway, like my process is really selfish. I think that sometimes people make work and then I love the people that have all these statements about who the work is for. And sometimes I think that comes after for me. But if I start my work with who's it for, I never finish it. It has to be for me every single time. And so that's where the process overlaps is that I start with the grandiose, like, this is for this person, this is this person. Then I get a month in and I'm like, no, bitch, because they ain't in the room with you. And you don't know if they're even going to turn up. So it has to be about me. And then I think what happens is what overlaps in the process of writing a play or a TV show or a book and just writing in general for me is that somewhere in the middle, I figure out the question that I can't figure out and that then I get excited because I'm like, shit, I don't, I don't know this and now I'm going to figure it out. So that overlaps. I'm doing the same in a play and the same in a book of just like, what, what is the thing that I don't know yet? And will this writing get me closer or further away from it? Yeah. I love that. I'm going to find a quote actually that I wanted to share with you. I mentioned it earlier from, from Catherine McKittrick that I think is so salient, not only for the work that you're putting out in the world, but um, what I'm also trying to do and what many people here are also trying to do. So Catherine McKittrick writes in her book, uh, Dear Science, sharing can be uneasy and terrifying. 
But our stories of black worlds and black ways of being can, in part, breach the heavy weight of dispossession and loss. Our shared stories of black worlds and black ways of being breach the heavy weight of dispossession and lost because they, these are narratives. Songs, poems, conversations, theories, debates, memories, arts, prompts, curiosities. They're embedded with a sort of liberatory clue and resistance. Sharing, therefore, is not understood as an act of disclosure, but instead signals collaboration and collaborative ways to enact and engender struggle. Hmm. I love that. I just want to invite you to respond to that. That's invitation payback for Inv- the submarine yeah, quote. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very well. You win. You win. You win. Now we're even. Um, well, I think that it's things true, isn't it? That's very like resonant, and I think that it's actually helpful to hear something like that because then it makes your piece of work not the finished product. It's only the beginning of then something that gets collaborated on by sharing. So it's very relaxing to hear that because then you can make more things without worry of failure because the book is just the beginning of then the conversation, of then the response. And then I was thinking about when writing this that some lot of trans people might disagree with what I've written in there. And that was kind of at some point making me not want to write it. And then I said, I can't wait to read the argument back about what I've written. What a joy to make something that then has something, someone go, nah, I'm completely different. And then we're in a conversation. So that quite makes me think of that thought. And because we live in a totalizing time, I suppose we we have for a while, right? That none of the above is the emblematic, authentic memoir for trans and non-binary people. Read this book, right? And yeah, it doesn't become um, actually about Travis yeah, uh, Alabanza at all. It becomes yeah. about cis people learning about trans folks, which I think you wanted to avoid. But I don't know that we can resist that. Topher's got a new film coming out, and we spoke about this the other day, that you know what he's making also cannot be seen as the black... It's the whole story. Like, we have to continue to think about art and works that other people create in collaboration, in conversation with. Of course, I'm so excited for Tofa's film. Huh? I'm so excited for Tofa's film. Oh my God, I saw incredible. the trailer, I was like, yo. I've seen the whole thing. Oh, you seen? <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. You're keeping me on my toes today, you're very funny. So as our conversation draws to a close, I'd like us to look ahead and out. Um, we're all trying to reacclimate the world get used to whatever this new normal is, the kind of constant onslaught that um, we experience, some certainly more than others. And I imagine that there will be young trans and non-binary people or questioning people, people who are questioning, who might see in you and your work a way out or a way to express themselves. But they will have seen that self-expression can also invite danger. So what would you say to a young person who would love to express themselves in the way that you have demonstrated or in a way that you do, but who might say, I don't know how to begin? Start at the H&M closing down sale. (laughs) No. (laughs) And get whatever you can off the rack and run. Um, And deflect, deflect, (laughs) deflect. No, 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 no. You've got to give me time to reach that, you know? Um... I, (laughs) that was quick. (laughs) I would say um, that I think that there are lots of challenges that continue. But I do think, and this, I mean, the reason I deflect is because any answer I go to will sound really cheesy, but it's true for me. So maybe it will be true for someone else. 
But I do think for me, I always come back to the fact that the price of like violence or harassment or stares or shunning for me is always like not as high as the price of like really just like being yourself. And that sounds really corny, but actually like there comes a point where like you just can't hold other people's shame and that you just can't hold it and you have to find the room for your own self. And so I would say find that moment where you can like make some room for yourself and if you need to get rid of some things to make that room, I would start with other people's shame. Get rid of that, yeah. Perfect. Mm, thanks, babe. To close, I usually ask all of my guests the same question, what do you hope for? But in the scope of this conversation and indeed your work, it feels a little no, oh, it's like, what do I help for? Cis world. Yeah, like it feels a bit small. Um, oh, fuck your other guests. <laughs> we'll edit that one out and post. Scratch that. If you have any, if you have any video, delete it. I'm fucking with you. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I'll never forget this. Um, I don't know. It, 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 to ask you what you hope for feels like it misses the point. That's what I mean, right? I think this fixed goal is probably what you're trying to get away from. And so I don't know. I think that sometimes we can fix hope as like a destination and actually we don't necessarily know where we're going. And so I'd like to invite you to respond to the statement or reflect on the statement. This is for us, baby, not for them. Ah, that's my closing chapter of my book that you can pre-order. Um, <laughs> From Gaze I'm so glad you ended with that. Oh, I, that's, unfortunately that's when I felt like I got into the stride of the book right in the last chapter I was like oh I'm getting good at this um but scene. this yeah. is for us baby not for them I mean it was said by a gorgeous uh, writer and friend Kachenga who is you know yeah yeah big ups Kachenga who is just one of the most beautiful writers ever really for me and beautiful people beautiful right? people beautiful yeah. person just but I mean her writing is just something else and I don't even know if she remembers saying it to me but, but the reason it, it made me feel so alive and so energized is how simple it was, one, right? It's so simple. But also as like a destination of how to think about yourself, not always in relation to the other. And like, but that doesn't mean always singular, right? Like you can go, this is for me, not for them. And that's very different to like, this is for us. And then deciding who that us is and deciding who those people are and deciding like, that you're, you are in community, but you can choose like who that's for, right? And who that's around. And um, the them, actually, I don't know even if it became a person in the end of the chapter. It wasn't about making this make-believe villain. It actually just became the them that kind of symbolized like society and standards. Like you're not doing it for them. So what do you look like when you're not doing it to be understood by society? What do you look like when you're doing it for your people around you and for joy? Big ups, Kachanya. Kachanga, yeah, mm. big ups. We talk about gender, sexuality, race, and as you point out in the book, like, and, and elsewhere, indeed, across all of your work, that not only are these, th th these things all intertwined, they're not actually the things we're trying to solve for, 
right? Mm. It, it's the world that limits someone from being creative and expressing themselves through play or songwriting or dressing up, whatever, whatever it is they want to do to express themselves is the same world that bullies our trans and non-binary siblings, right? Mm. That makes that existence so oppressive. It's the same world that allows violence against women. It's the same world that lets children go hungry. Like this is all really interconnected. And I suppose at the heart is this kind of, this diminishing of the human spirit. Mm. We can't end on me, so I need you to respond to that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Josh. So please don't forget to order Travis's, pre-order Travis's book, None of the Above. I see some of you grabbing your phones please to do. make a note um, that you can get this book online at Gaze the Word. Um, and I'm not trying to bully you into this, but obviously first week sales and pre-orders matter hugely for independent artists and authors like Travis. And so trust you all take that most seriously since you're allies and all. <laughs> Travis, thank you so much Thanks, for being babe. here and for your love and your support and your friendship. I, I appreciate Thanks, you babe. a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Travis Alabanza is an award-winning writer, performer, and theater maker. They were the youngest recipient of the Artists in Residency program at Tate Galleries, and their debut show, Burgers, toured internationally to sold-out performances in London, Sao Paulo, and Berlin. In 2020, their theater show, Overflow, debuted at the Bush Theater in London to widespread acclaim and later streamed online in over 20 countries. Travis's work surrounding gender, trans identity, and race has garnered international recognition. Oh my god, why am I gonna cry? I don't know what happened, bro. Travis's upcoming book, None of the Above, examines seven phrases people have directed at them about their gender identity. Through these seven phrases, which include some of their most transformative experiences as a black, mixed-race, non-binary person, they turn a mirror back on society, giving us reason to question the very framework in which we live and the ways we treat each other. None of the above is available to pre-order from Gaze the Word. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride, Blackout UK, The 10th, Schools Out, and to you, the listeners. Your support of Busy Being Black means the world. Please do rate and review the show and tell others. The more you do, the more people like us get to hear the stories and voices amplified here. And finally, thank you to my friend and co-conspirator Lazarus Lynch, a musician and culinary extraordinaire based in New York City for creating Busy Being Black's triumphant and ancestral theme music.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.